Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today I have with me author Jedediah Jenkins. Jed is a storyteller from the cartels of Mexico to the mega churches of the U.S. to the Amazon in Bolivia. Homeboy has seen some crazy things. Jed, a few years ago, made the frightening decision to leave his job to pursue an unattested dream, biking to Patagonia and writing a book about it. Here's the thing you have to know about Jed, though. He's not an I'm gonna guy. He's not the one that says, I'm gonna get my law degree one day. I'm gonna jump off that cliff into the ocean. I'm gonna bike 14,000 miles. No, Jed Ajaya Jenkins actually does the things he says he's going to do. And I think it's one of the most compelling things about him. So Jed biked from Oregon to Patagonia and wrote a freaking book about it called To Shake the Sleeping Self. And it landed on the New York Times bestsellers list multiple times. Obviously. I mean, who does that? (laughs) I literally laughed out loud and wept and grieved and danced my way through his story. And now a few years later, his second book, Like Streams to the Ocean, is about to come out. The book starts with one of his favorite quotes of all times from John Muir. When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. And that is what this book is, leaning into tiny things that we all experience and finding a supernova inside. In the book, Judd says something that caught my eye immediately. He says, we are not thoughtless lizards. As much as a blank mind would calm our twisted senses, it is not on offer. What we have are complex thoughts, spiritual meditations, and brains that want to hold the universe in our consciousness. This is the miracle of being human. If there is no God and we are just atoms bouncing through a giant something, then the mystery of consciousness is all the more amazing. We are pieces of matter, perfectly organized in such a way that we are able to see ourselves. What an honor. What a commission. And if the saints and mystics are right and we are really children of God, then wow. We are creations of the Most High, main characters in the cosmic drama of meaning. Maybe those two options aren't as different as we think. This is my attempt to lean into the duty of consciousness. What we have are complex feelings, spiritual naggings, and brains that want to hold the universe in our consciousness. Woo! Wow. <laughs> Jedediah Jenkins, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know that is like a super long intro, but <laughs> I feel like I had to do it because I just wanted to give you justice, Jed. Oh my gosh. I feel like I don't need justice. (laughs) We have laughed. They don't. Many, many hours for many, many years together. 
We have. And you're the first person on my podcast that has lived with me, that we have been former roommates. I know. You know, one of my favorite stories of all time. <laughs> Tell I don't me. I know if it's appropriate for this podcast, but... No, share you, it. You were in this, like, silky nightgown, or I, maybe it's called a slip, but it was com- <laughs> you were completely covered. Like, there was no <laughs> cleavage. There was no... Uh, yes, I could see your knees, but it was like all the way down. <laughs> and I came downstairs to like get some milk or something, and you screamed like I had seen you naked. And yet we had, <laughs> like that day we had been to the beach, and you'd been in a bikini. And I was like, "What's happening? Like you are completely covered. Why are you screaming?" But it was the context of like a nighty night night, and it was the funniest, yes. most confusing. I lived with a girl before. <laughs> That's so funny because I think maybe you and I, or maybe the house and the roommates, we had the conversation about like context. So yeah. when you're at a beach wearing a Speedo, wasn't there a commercial that it's like this guy at a beach, it's when does it become awkward that a guy's in a Speedo in public? At the beach, it's okay. He's like a couple blocks from the beach, it's okay. But then, like, it's he gets so a true. mile away, two miles, and you're like, In 7-Eleven, okay. 45 minutes yes. inland? No, it's very weird. He's just a pervert, just in <laughs> spandex. <laughs> well, one of my favorite stories, well, I have two, but when we lived together, we used to have uninhibited nights. <laughs> oh, we would Do lock remember the doors. Yes. We would lock the doors. This was like, my form of Christian rebellion. I didn't really party in college, but we would lock ourselves in our house and drink and get wasted and have dance parties. And then we would go nosing, naked ocean swimming. (laughs) Well, yeah. So our intention was to stay indoors. Like that's right. We don't want to be wild. And then of course, once we would spin up into a wild oblivion at midnight, like (laughs) Luckily, we were so Christian that some people in our group just didn't drink. And so they were there to party, but just like watch us scream and crawl around on the floor (laughs) and like dance Brianna. And so they would would drive us. We'd pack up like a Ford Explorer and drive Mm -hmm. us to the beach. And then we would run around naked in the ocean. (laughs) It's very wholesome. It was very sweet. It really was. And there was one time there were like street evangelists or like street prayer walkers at the beach as we're going to run in the ocean. Literally, I'll never forget in my whole life. (laughs) We get to the beach. We're rowdy. We're so fun. By the way, we all love Jesus with our whole hearts. We get to the (laughs) beach. We get out of the car. We're screaming. It's like one in the morning. And this girl comes up to us and just says, hi, can I pray with you? And we were like, what? And she was like, can I pray for you right now? And we were like, okay. Uh, yeah. You know, vibe killer, but also like sweet. Like, that's sweet. <laughs> so we circle up and she's like, Father God, just please help these people find that partying and sinful ways are not your way. And like, let them be released from this shackle of trying to fit in. And we were all like, Hello, what are you doing? We don't know you. Like, what? What's <laughs> happening? It was amazing. Yes. Bless her heart. She really just, you know, she she know. cared about us. I, you know, or the idea. She but, did. She cared about our souls one thousand percent. And she did. You know, like you said, bless her little heart for that. She didn't like do the work of earning the right to be heard and like asking us right. anything about ourselves. She just judged us and yeah. jumped right in. But hey, you know yes. what? Prayer's great. Well, I always felt 
very uncomfortable doing like street evangelizing or going up to people. And I remember in that moment feeling really crappy because I felt really judged. And then the other part of me, I think it felt really good to be on the other side of that because it just made me want to be really weary of me inserting myself into a stranger's life and making an assumption on who they are or what they needed. Um, because yeah, like you said, I, I love prayer. I think it's just really interesting. However we believe we're right, we believe that other person's wrong and in need of something. So let me insert myself into their story with no context, not even so much a hi, what's your name, but let me tell you what you need to hear. I, I think that like shifted something in me that night. Yes. I hadn't thought about that that night might've shifted something in me, but I think you might be right in the sense where I've always been impacted by, I feel like it's Thomas Aquinas, I'm not sure, but the quote, you have to earn the right to be heard. And it's like, Mm. you can't just show up and assume that your life-changing message of the gospel is gonna, anyone's gonna listen to you. You know, it's it's the idea, if you show up to a a country in need and you just start preaching the gospel, it's like, well, they need to feed their kids and like escape a warlord. Why don't you help them do mm. that? And they're going to listen to you about what motivates right. you to do good work. And right. I was always wary of of transactional, you know, fast-paced evangelism. I was like, this doesn't, mm-hmm. if we're talking about a relationship with the Savior, like trying to like win converts, like winning a game feels mm. weird. Yeah. I don't know what it was like for you. So just parentheses here, Judd and I also know each other because we both worked for the same nonprofit, Invisible Children, years ago. Mm -hmm. We worked there at different times. But I don't know what your experience was starting to work for that organization, but I had just graduated college in Dallas, Texas with a theology major. I had volunteered at my church all through college, and I remember my community, pastors, friends, mentors, really not supporting me working for an organization that wasn't quote unquote Christian. And because at the end of the day, in a very crass way, they're like, you're just creating a safer place for people to go to hell. And I remember leaving leaving Texas to go to California, live in this crazy intern house with 50 people. I think I made $7 a day when I worked for Invisible Children. (laughs) And, you know, then we're living out of a van, traveling all over the United States, doing advocacy work. And I remember being so, oh, I don't know what the right word is, but humbled, shocked. I don't know that all these people that I was living with who... And my, you know, Bible major opinion may have had shaky theology, or maybe they didn't believe in God at all, or were atheists, or I met a ton of Mormons on my tour. And yet these people were living so much more like the Jesus I read about in the Bible than I ever did my whole life. And anyone that I knew back at home, yet there was a disconnect because it wasn't a Christian organization. So I wasn't getting support from my Christian community. I know you were super involved in Christian ministries in college. Was that similar for you or was it different? Well, it, it, it was a completely similar for me. And when, when you were talking, it just kind of made me think that there's the thing we know we're doing. And then there's the thing our guts know they're doing. 
like I was drawn to Invisible Children where I could have worked for Samaritan's Purse or some other like explicitly Christian organization. And yet something in my guts was like, no, this feels like where I want to be over here. I don't know why mm. it just does. And mm. then, yes, there's like, it's not explicitly Christian. It's not Bible based, blah, blah, blah. But I was just like, I don't know, like it feels right. And I'm, I'm just going to kind of follow the smell of apple pie until I find the kitchen. Like something's happening. Mm. And, and yeah. I've, I've like come to believe that there's a gravity inside us all that draws us to where we're supposed to be going. Mm. And you can feel it. And I think you and I both felt that even in light of people saying, I don't know, like, because like, think about it, if we were truly, like, unmitigated people pleasers, and like, yeah. elders and mentors and whatever in our church communities told us it was a bad idea, we wouldn't have done that. We would have been like, yeah. Oh, oh, no, I'm trying to be approved of and please people. And yet, something was like, you know, I'm going to risk people thinking some type of way about me because yeah. I just feel like I'm supposed to go do this. And that yeah. led us to, you know, so many revelations and life-changing relationships. And I mean, it mm -hmm. changed my life completely. Yeah, same. I think what came to mind for me is I have always been that person and I hear this in your books, but I've just seen it in your life. I want to be liked. I want to be approved of. I want to be approved of by people I think are cool. I want to be approved of by other Christians. I want to be approved of by the person on the subway that I'm never going to see again. Yet yeah. over and over and over and over again in my life, as much as I want that, I somehow find myself making the decision that I know is not going to get the approval of those people, even though I want it so bad. So I constantly feel like this ache of longing for approval. But then at other times, I feel like, is the whole universe like gaslighting me? Because I think that this thing is really true, whether it's the working for this organization or so much of the work I'm doing now, I, I went off on a rant on Instagram two days ago about sexuality within the church and mm. how sick I am of hearing shaming quote unquote sexual purity sermons that talk about your worth, your salvation is dependent on what you do or do not do between your legs. And part of me feels like I still want that person who said that to like me and think that I have good theology, but then right. the other part of me just cannot stay silent any longer as far as, actually, I just think that's not true at all. So I'm just going to kind of go in my own path now, and it feels really scary. And I don't know if you can resonate with that or what your experience has been kind of, like, do you care about people liking you as much as I do? <laughs> I care so much. I mean, <laughs> listen, I was a little gay kid in Tennessee and I didn't have my first kiss until I turned 28 because mm. I cared so much about what my Christian community thought of me that I mm. made myself basically asexual to like, I completely disconnected from my body and on a level that I'm like at 37 having to unpack that I like have a body and it's okay that someone wants to love it and touch it. And I want to be embodied in this life. Like mm -hmm. that is an incredible amount of armor and 
walls that I put up for so long just to be liked and just to be mm. okay. And what, what I've learned, like as I've moved towards knowing myself, accepting myself, loving myself, seeing myself the way I believe God sees me is there is a tension, sort of what you were saying between the truth of who I am and what will make me feel like a good and whole person and mm. the approval of people who ultimately, the more I see their ideas and beliefs tested against reality, I find that there to be dissonance and it to be untrue. And so, mm. yes, I want their approval, but I want reality's approval more. I, I want to live in reality. Mm. And I only have mm. one life, so I want to make it as harmonious with reality as possible. And so, mm. and, and what I found is, and I'm sure you found this, when you start to step towards what is true, what feels true, what you believe to be true. Yes, you might ruffle feathers, but what you'll find is people that look up and go, oh my God, me too. Oh my God, mm. I, I need that. Oh my God, thank you for saying that. And then mm. where one relationship might become frayed because you were bold enough to disagree, you suddenly have 10 more people rush into the wings, at least that's my experience, saying, me too, thank you for saying that. I want, I yeah. really needed to hear that. I needed to read that. And so mm. I was so wrapped in a non-affirming Christian community that, and then I came to this place where I learned, oh, you don't have to believe in the Bible exactly the way my one church believes in the Bible in Nashville, Tennessee, oh, wow. to be a good person, like mm. to be loved by God. And mm. if I step into my authentic self, these people who I respect, love, and am, am amazed by won't reject me. They actually will celebrate me. Mm. And so I, yeah. I'm not afraid of total abandonment. That's what people pleasers fear is abandonment, right. is, is, mm -hmm. is the tribe turning against you and kicking you off into the desert. That's like the deep bottom layer fear that we all have. And so mm. once you kind of test the waters and you start, being more yourself, more true, or even just thinking out loud more freely, mm -hmm. I think you'll find the community of people that agree with you is larger than you think. If you know anything about me, you know this. I love Beyonce, God, talking about dating and relationships, and I am obsessed with skincare. I started really taking care of my skin a few years ago, and I mean really taking care of my skin, and now as a 35-year-old woman, the one thing I wish I would have known in my 20s about skincare is that it's never too early to start. One brand I've really come to appreciate is Beauty Bio. They have an incredible patented at-home micro-needling tool called the Glow Pro. What they're passionate about, in-office results at home and with accessible price points. Because as much as I love skincare, there's no way I can afford those $400 lotions and elixirs. The microneedling treatment helps create firm, smoother, younger-looking skin with tighter pores. And hello, who does not want tighter pores? Not only is it incredible for anti-aging and financially accessible, it also doesn't add hours onto your skin regimen. I'm all about function and efficiency, y'all. And in just 60 seconds a day, you'll see results. So go to beautybio.com and check out their Glow Pro microneedling regeneration tool and use TRC15 for 15% off your first order at checkout. 
That's beautybio.com and use TRC15 for 15% off your first order. Some people take the straight path in life. But at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Visit us at asuonline.asu.edu to learn more. I know some of your story because we've been friends, but I also don't know a lot of your story because we haven't lived in the same state for a lot of years. And so I guess what I'm curious about is when did the fear of not allowing yourself to express what you were, your experience was, express being a gay man um, and the tension with that and faith. Like, when did that start coming out? I don't know if the right question is stop hiding it or what was that journey like for you? Because when we lived together, we didn't ever talk about it. No. Like, I don't think I ever had a conversation with you about that. Well, I think what happens is, like, history is... Yes, it moves in in one direction, but it's not linear mm. in terms of cause and effect. It's a thousand causes mm. dancing together in like the complex quilt of existence. So it's a bunch of things happening at once. And yeah. so raised Christian, like obsessed with being good. Well, I realized something is different about me in third grade. I realized it's called gay and it's bad in seventh grade. It's a horrible thing to wake up into a consciousness as a child in middle school and realize that something innately inside you, everyone, if they found out, would reject you. That is like wow. a horrible darkness to think. And it affects your personality forever. And for what it did to me was make me have to be perfect, have to be student mm-hmm. body president, have to be the funniest, have to be the best, have to know the Bible better than anyone else. Because if I'm not inherently good, then I must earn it. So that, I mean, that journey took me a long ways. And, you know, and then if my body is going to betray me and against me, like here's a here's a perfect and very real example that's too much information but I'll just tell you to yeah. this day I don't get random boners <laughs> mm. like I can't just see an attractive person and get a boner even if they were near me and touching because my body said you're in the locker room with guys you're on the cross country team you're on the soccer team all these straight guys you can't do that like wow. that will betray you and so my brain figured itself out and said, we're going to completely disconnect that so that this never happens to you. So you'll be safe. So now if I'm ever having an intimate situation, it has to be full on happening. Like we are full on for me to like, get excited, which is like, wow. most guys in the world that happens to them constantly. And they're embarrassed. And like, uh Oh, like, she brushed up against my jeans. Like, I'm in trouble, I got to sit down. But it doesn't happen to me. That's a physical real example. Mm. The, how the body and the mind and anxiety are actually very interwoven and connected. Um, Absolutely. But so what happened was, you know, over the course of my teens and early 20s and into my mid-20s at Invisible Children, I just kept falling in love with my best friends. Every gay guy, especially every Christian gay guy, knows this story. It's like, you call it best friendship. You call it, oh, my soulmate. We spend every minute together. We're so connected. We have such fellowship. Like, he's my brother in Christ. But you're, like, effectively in love and, like, spend every second together in slumber party. You don't touch, necessarily, but maybe you give each other back rubs, whatever. And what happened was 
at 27 or 26, 27, I fell so madly in love for my straight best friend that I lost my mind. And this was like the fifth time that it, or whatever time it had happened to me in my life. And there's something special about the age 27, at least to me, where you can feel 30 coming. And it was really when I realized I'm an adult and I kept waiting for God to take this away from me so that I could get married and have a wife. And, and at 27, I was madly in love with my best friend. It almost blew up our relationship. And I was like, is this just the cycle of my life? Am I, am I going to be 60 and like writing love notes to my married straight best friend and like losing my mind? Like, this is my one and only life. What mm -hmm. am I doing? And I really kind of had the realization that, oh, if I'm waiting on God to fix me, where like the, the phrase is walk in faith, like you need to start moving. And then if you fall, God will pick you up and redirect you. But you need to be doing things like it's not sit in faith and wait for lightning. As I saw 30 approaching, I really felt like I need to get busy living my life. And mm. I feel that me pushing my sexuality and my desire to love someone and love a man and have a relationship, pushing that away and waiting for some girl to show up isn't happening. And it also feels deeply untrue. Like it really mm. hurts my heart to feel that. And like, Jesus came to give life and life abundant. And this is the opposite of that. It is atrophy. It is disintegration. It is mm. disembodiment. It is shame. And mm. so I was like, I'm just going to like go on a date with a guy. And like, if it's wrong, it'll be wrong. And, I, and God will say, mm -hmm. see, I told you so. But if it's right, I'll learn something. And so it, mm. it just took me a long time. But I had yeah. to get there on my own. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I'm just so grateful that you share your story and that you are living this because kind of like you said, so many people are going to hear your story and are like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy or I'm not the only one. Yeah. In your first book, you said something um, and it was about very complicated relationship you have with your mother. Yeah. Um, and you said, I couldn't put a finger on it, but I knew that my deepest wounds were the place of my deepest meanings and she was ground zero. My salvation was somewhere inside her. And I think of you sharing this process of, oh my gosh, is this like a part of who I am? Is this true? Is this truthful? Um, and stepping out and taking a step or a leap of faith in that. And in that knowing that step for you has maybe a lot higher consequences than a different step for me as a yeah. heterosexual woman in our culture. and. So you stepping out in that, like, what has that been like? Because, you know, you're, you come from Nashville, Tennessee, you come from very conservative evangelical culture. As much as I, I think, I think your mom is still pretty conservative theologically. And so what is that like? It's been scary. It's been hard. I mean, like we were saying, one of the biggest fears any human has is the fear of rejection mm. and to be rejected mm. by a family that you love. Like, I love my mm. family. I love my mother. She's yeah. my favorite person. There comes a point in the journey of self and identity where to compromise who you are to fit in or to not be rejected is, is a wager you cannot make because it will kill mm. you. It will ruin mm. your life. And that I think some people do make that wager because their fear of rejection, of being removed from 
the family and community is too great. And so they just mm-hmm. sacrifice who they are because, and by the way, sometimes circumstances require that, you know, you might have these mm-hmm. big dreams of who you are and then your spouse or your mom or your child has such incredible medical needs that now your whole life is keeping them alive. You know, that's, yeah. this happens mm-hmm. to people. So I, I understand that like sometimes God has a very surprising plan, but mm-hmm. for me, um, I came to the point where I was like, I have to be myself. I have to find love. It wasn't just like, I have to find love. It was, I have to live in the truth. And I Mm -hmm. feel so deeply that this is untrue, even though people I love believe it, I can't Mm -hmm. endorse that Mm -hmm. because I have knowledge in my heart that they don't have because I am the thing they have an opinion about. Wow. And yeah, it was scary, but yeah. There's something like that on some scale for everybody, where whether right. it's you're in an abusive relationship, whatever it is, you're in a, an abusive job, and mm-hmm. you're like, I'm scared of what's behind the, the dark door, but yeah. in here is bad, and it makes me feel mm-hmm. deeply wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm scared to walk through that door and maybe be rejected by the place I already am. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And yet sometimes... Mm-hmm the devil you know is cancer and is killing you. Mm. You better get out of that door. And that's, that's a journey we're all on. And you have to kind of just feel like, am I uncomfortable in my current situation because it's actually meant to teach me about loyalty Mm. and longevity and like the hard lessons of commitment. Okay. That's a different story. If you're like in the right place and it's hard. Yeah. Good things are hard. Marriage is hard. But sometimes you're in the wrong place and it's hard and that hardness is telling you to get out. Right, right. And that's a difficult thing to sometimes figure out what's, what's mm-hmm. happening. But I know for me, it took me years, it took me over a decade to figure out, is this hard because I am not trusting God and scripture enough? And I, that's the thing is you do that long enough and you test that and you realize, mm-hmm. no, I'm not a coward. No, it's not that I don't love God. It's that what I've been taught is wrong. Wow. As you're sharing that, I just keep thinking of like our worst fears. In your new book, you're talking about as you're about to shake the sleeping self publish, you get this like mysterious illness and your life is about to be on expose for the world and not just your world, but your family and your truth that you're now living might get you rejected from the people you love most. And I think how scary and how terrifying, and I have nothing to compare it to. Um, For me, my worst case scenario came true. And my worst case scenario was, you know, I grew up in a really broken home, divorce, affairs, drug addiction, and lots of drama. And then my dad finally got sober my senior year of college. Our whole family was like this redemption story. And Mm -hmm. I didn't just get like my dad back. I got this new person back. And then last year he relapsed after being sober for almost 15 years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I feel like sweaty even just right now, there's still trauma that when I think about it, because that was my worst case scenario happening, Mm -hmm. like in real life, it was the nightmare, my worst fear coming to existence. And it was such a terrible year. And in that, I have found gratitude 
Mm-hmm. Actually, my therapist said this to me over quarantine. She goes, oh, I'm so glad your dad relapsed last year. Mm. Look how much you've learned. Mm. And she goes, what does it feel like being in relationship with your dad? And I said, it feels like there's a lot of death. Mm. And she goes, what happens when we experience death? And honestly, I feel like if anyone else would have said this at any other time, I would have been like, screw you. But I said, well, when there's death, there's opportunity for resurrection, right? Like there's opportunity for new life. And it was in walking through my worst fear becoming a reality that I got to see wow, I've expected my dad to be God and my dad's actually human. Mm. And do I have the permission for him to be human? And also I allowed my dad's sobriety to become my ground floor. And so if dad wasn't okay, I'm not okay. But in worst fear coming true, I got to see actually he cannot be okay. In fact, the whole world around me cannot be okay but I can be okay. I can be safe. I am safe. I am at home in my body. I can be connected to myself, to God, to others. And so, you know, I share all of that because I think the potential fear of what could happen or the worst case scenario happening or being exposed or failure or being rejected by your family or whatever it is, keeps us really stuck. And it kept me stuck. I mean, I'm still waiting my way through it, but sometimes I wonder if the things that we fear the most are actually the things in our life that are going to lead to the biggest breakthroughs. Mm. First of all, thank you for sharing that. That is mm. really hard. And I, it mm. made me think about concepts of gratitude when really bad things happen, like a global mm. pandemic or a loss of life and how it can lead to your biggest transformations, the biggest lessons of your life. And mm. and it feels wrong to say, I'm so glad my daughter died. I don't think mm. you would ever say that. And yet, like once something is in the past, it's happened. So that's the story of your life. The end, period. Mm. That's what that's the story. And so to say, like, look what I learned, look at the strength, look at the way that my story can help bring healing to others and then heal me. Like, there is such beauty in taking the heavy-handed horrifying lessons that God Mm. can deal out and the universe can just give us in in what feels like such an unfair way Mm. and and to turn it into profundity and beauty and strength and humility. And Mm. it's true. Like the things that were the hardest thing to do in my life, whether it's processing sexuality in the church Mm. in the South, whether it's the fear of losing my family, you know, all these things. That's like, now at this stage of my life, those are the anchors that made mm-hmm. me who I am, where I, where I ask the question, do I have courage? Do I have bravery? Mm-hmm. Am I a person of character? Am I a person of integrity? Those questions only arise through hardship. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're the only time we are ever tested. And so mm-hmm. being tested is the revelation of who you are. And so I wouldn't trade that for the world. I mean, Mm. there's that sermon that Oprah loves to sing. It's, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. It's not sermon. It's like a hymn. Mm. Take nothing for my journey now, for my journey now. Mm. And it's, I always think about that because I look back, I'm like, what would I change? And if I took that away, Mm. who would I be? 
I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And did your worst fear happen? No. No. Mm. I, I, that was a big... My worst fear was rejection by everyone. Mm. And mm -hmm. the opposite happened. Not only did I become accepted by what felt like my truest self and like mm -hmm. felt whole in my own body. Now, did I have some incredibly conservative-minded friends think my decisions were bad? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also love people and love them and they loved me like these were good people who just had different beliefs about things and mm -hmm. so yes our relationship changed and yes there was a disconnect there but i just gained so much more from the small things that i lost yeah and i'm lucky like my mother still believes that homosexuality is wrong and dangerous i don't think she thinks it means salvation or not but she thinks I'm willfully sinning and going against the plain reading of scripture. And yet mm. I'm lucky because I have a mother who loves first and is righteous second. Like she really mm. believes that God is in control and your job is to love. Where I have gay friends whose parents are righteous first and loving fifth. And so they wow. reject and they dust their feet off and kick them out and they have no relationship. And that is what I feared. And what's true is that I was ready for that. I wow. was like, I'd rather be true and lose a relationship that's hurting me than fake and willingly stay shackled. And so I was like, no, no, mm -hmm. no, no. And then, you know, I'm just lucky that my mom and I can disagree about a theological idea and still love each other and have a blast together. Yeah. I think that is one of the most profound things. And even when I look at where we're at in our culture right now, you mm -hmm. know, um, where we have an, an election year <laughs> and we're, you know, going through quarantine pandemic, um, we're in the aftermath of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, um, mm. George Floyd. And I'm sure every generation says this, but it feels so polarizing right now. And it feels like for me personally, it's really hard for me sometimes to see the humanity in the person that I view as the enemy or the person that is on the other side of the belief system, whatever that belief may be, whatever it is. And yet, you know, Jesus says to love our enemies and also me hating the person that I think is wrong only further fractures humanity and the world. And I'm like externally processing this just in my own life right now of, I really, really think that I, we need to find ways to build bridges of connections with the person that believes something that offends me. Right. You and your mom disagree on something so fundamental about who you are. Yet, I know you love her and I know that she yeah. loves you and you are able to have a relationship. And for me in this time, it has felt really hard because I'll be like, he's voting for that person. I don't even yeah. think I can ever talk to him again. That's been hard. I think that's part of being a human and in a society and in a democracy is 
yeah, you have to fight like hell for what you believe in and sometimes march in the streets and sometimes have really hard conversations with people. But at the end of the day, generally, you're at least in this developed society, you're arguing about policy and complex things that you probably don't know a lot about. You know some talking points. You know mm. you know what the headline said and someone over there is mm. freaking out and you're just joining in because it's like, virtue signaling. But <laughs> I think we all need humility and, and to and to be okay with someone being really passionately serious about an issue. Like yeah. if your entire life is dedicated to pro life, like stopping abortion happening in this country, like that is gonna offend a lot of people. But you believe it and you can you can march on the, in the streets, you can post about it everywhere, you can have conversations at dinner, but ultimately if that's your stance, then your whole idea is life is sacred and, and human life is special and ordained by God. Probably that's what you believe. So then therefore, any human you're talking to at dinner or at a mm. stoplight is the very thing you're trying to protect. So treat that person with dignity and respect and love. It, no matter what your issue is, that's kind of what I would hope is the goal. Like mm. Very few people are out in the streets marching to like kill everybody. They're actually trying to like mm. make society better, safer for everyone. They just have different ideas yeah. of how to do it. One size fits all may work for your accessories, but when it comes to your hair, we all need something a little different to help us look our best. What if your hair care was as unique as you are? Hello, all my Enneagram 4s out there are going to love this. Function of Beauty is hair care that is formulated specifically for you. No matter your hair type, they create shampoo, conditioner, and treatments to fit your unique needs. Here's how it works. First, you take a quick but thorough quiz and tell them a little about your hair. Next, Function of Beauty's team determines the right blend of ingredients and then bottle your custom formula to order. Then they deliver your personalized formula right to your door in a cute customized bottle with your favorite color and fragrance, y'all. They even print your name on it. I got the fragrance of lavender and I am loving it. Plus, their formulas are vegan and cruelty-free. They never use sulfates, parabens, or any other harmful ingredients. So what are you waiting for? Go to functionofbeauty.com slash refined for 20% off and let them know you heard about it from our show. Again, that's functionofbeauty.com slash refined. There's a line in your book where you said like people are people, like people are just people. And I think we all really want the same thing. Like all humans, I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be fully seen and accepted. I want to be enough. I want to be worthy. I want to laugh. I want to experience intimacy. And one of my pastors recently said, he's like, if you're having a hard time seeing the humanity in another person, think of them being a second grader that is being bullied. Mm. And that hopefully... How can you not have compassion on that person? If you're in a disagreement or someone's treating you wrong or you, you, someone ghosts you or you're in a romantic relationship and they're like not communicating well, whatever it is, like everything has a cause. Like I learned mm. from the therapist community that I love in Nashville called Onsite. They, they always say, mm. if you're hysterical, it's historical, always. Oh, And if someone is really upset, there is history there. There is some reason mm -hmm. people don't just get hysterical. Right. 
And, oh. and that, that also ties to if you are deeply anxious in your heart about something, if you feel discontent, it's historical. There's reasons. Mm, yeah. The, if your mind doesn't know it, the body does. The body was listening. Mm, yes. Yes. Have you read The Body Keeps a Score? Yes. Changed my life. Uh, changed my life too. Just the idea of what you're talking about that our bodies hold trauma and that mm. trauma, it, once it's in your body, it has to come out. And I thought that was all woo woo until <laughs> I started having like balls to the walls, anxiety attacks a couple years ago, quote out of nowhere, quote unquote, but nothing's out of nowhere. And my journey to healing has been realizing how much trauma was in my body that was unprocessed that it was like I was in a boat that was sinking and I was just sticking my finger in all these different holes until finally it was like, I'm just going to come out this way (laughs) right now in the middle of photographing a wedding and you're going to freak the hell out. And um, I am now grateful that that happened. But um, that was kind of my wake up call to my body speaking to me and realizing my body's always been speaking to me. And I've been taught not to trust my body or my body is bad, but actually... My body has been trying to lead me well for a very long time. And there's, there's bad patterns that we carry from our trauma and all these things. And mm. once you can really name that, and that's kind of what my book is about, the new book is mm. like trying to name the things that are puppeting our lives. Mm. And once you can name it, you can say, wow, thank you. Like, I got this anxiety. I got these reflexes to protect myself, mm. to protect my little body when I was fragile. And mm. now I'm an adult. And the patterns that are this protective mechanism no longer serves me. It's now in my adulthood hurting me. It's keeping mm. me from real intimacy. It's keeping me from friendship. It's keeping me from risk that's going to change my life. And mm. so I'm going to name you and I'm going to say, thank you for doing such good work in the past. You can go sit down now. Like, thank you. Like we're done here. And that that's yeah. growth. I have thought growth has to mean perfection or never struggling with a thing again. So as far as anxiety goes, for me, growth was I'm never going to have an anxiety attack again. And Mm. it's five years down the road now, and I still struggle with anxiety. However, I have tools and my relationship has shifted if this ever happens again, I feel like I'm going to die. Like I can't handle this. And I was letting the fear of the fear run my life. And now I'll, even before I do podcasts, sometimes I'll get, I'll feel a little lightheaded and a little nervous. And Mm. I'm like, Oh, I just, I'm excited. And like this, maybe this doesn't feel very comfortable right now, but I'm okay. I'm safe. And so much of the healing journey for me has been learning to be in my body and be in discomfort and realize I can, whether it's going through a heartbreaking experience with my family and being like, Mm -hmm. I can be really, 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 really sad and I can, I can be safe or I can be public speaking and feel so much anxiety and I can still be safe. That for me, I would love the day that that never happens again. And I believe for that day, but I don't necessarily know that like that is the marker of growth that mm. the struggle never happens again. No, it's not the marker. You're exactly right. And that, that's why I think articulating, that's why I love 
talking and writing and podcasts and listening to podcasts, you can feel some gray something in your spirit. And then when someone says it or you read it or you say it and you find mm -hmm. language, then you realize, oh, like that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm growing. It's okay to be imperfect. It's so great to stumble forward. Mm. So in that kind of the, the like stumbling forward, the fumbling forward of life, um, mm. just to kind of anchor our chat, you're 37 now, 10 years ago, it sounds like that was kind of like an awakening moment for you. You said it was your first kiss, yeah. all these things. What do you wish you could tell yourself 10 years ago? I would just say you're doing great, sweetie. Like I would just be like, wow, you're so, you're just doing what you can do with what you have. And you're really, mm -hmm. it's okay. You're, you're a good boy. Like, obviously if I went back in time, I'd probably see myself and be like, oh my God, I just time traveled. That's amazing. Like, hi, um, <laughs> the, years ago, you love your life, but, um, maybe, yeah, maybe I would say you love your life. You know, because mm -hmm. that, that's I'm, my fear at that age was, oh, my gosh, what am I going to regret? Am I doing this right? Mm -hmm. And so and to be able to say, yeah, you are. You really are. And what does it mean if you aren't doing it right? Yes, I know there is truth that there are patterns and ways of living that are damaging and hurtful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we're always invited to growth, to betterment, to understanding right. that that what you're doing is hurting you and others. And you, you can feel that your body can feel it, your mind can feel it. And it's that discomfort that disquiet is inviting you to a better way. So listen to it. And mm -hmm. there, the, the invitation mm -hmm. to listen to that is always there. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if, if you're not, if you think you're not doing it right, there's going to come a day if you get on that journey of growth, that you're going to look back and be like, not doing it right was what I had to do to do it right. Right, right. I think for myself, I wonder if I love being right. <laughs> yeah, like, I love being right. I love having the last word. I love using rhetoric to prove my point and having mm -hmm. airtight arguments, whether it's, you know, trying to tell someone why Beyonce is like the best performer in the world or whatever it is, I want to be right. And I just, I feel really challenged in the last few years. Um, I was at like an emotional intelligence workshop and the speaker was giving one of the people in the audience feedback. And this guy was a multi, multi-millionaire, very successful, but his personal life was blowing up before his life. And mm -hmm. ultimately what it came down to is I can't remember what the situation was, but the guy was right. Whatever had happened in his personal life, he was right. And mm -hmm. the justice part of me, or maybe the you know, three on the Enneagram who's like, I want to perform and be right. Or the J on Myers-Briggs, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. But I was like, this guy is right. Mm -hmm. And then the speaker goes, um, how is being right working for you? Mm. <laughs> and I just like sat there and tried to like internalize that. Cause I was like, but he's right. <laughs> and sometimes oh. I think, why the hell am I so obsessed with getting it right? Like no one else is expecting me to have it right or perfect. God's not, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I am. And so that's kind of, you know, I ask you that question of like, what if you don't get it right of, you know, I feel like we're so, I don't know if it's the collective we or it's you and me, or it's just me of just 
having this obsession of being right or wanting to do it right. And if I get it wrong, what's the fear? Uh, Abandonment, rejection, um, love withheld, but realizing even if I get it quote unquote wrong, if if the thing is wrong, whatever it is, I still am loved. I still am seen. I still am accepted. So it's also about framing what that means to you. So if something is wrong, is my life wrong? Are my choices wrong? What that implies is that some decision you made in the past of the direction you were meant to go, you're not going there. That's what that implies. And Mm -hmm. if I, if I had become and done what my 21 year old self or 17 year old self had expected of me, horrible. The, the, the thing of, I don't want to be what I wanted to be back then. Like I learned Mm. and I'm, endlessly peeling back the layers of the onion of who I am to discover what I really want, what I really am, who I really am. And so wrongness to me just means you haven't been listening for a while and maybe you should start. Wow. And I wonder if in that, that's, I mean, that's kind of like the journey to self or maybe the journey to discovering Uh, we've been kind of like dancing around this theme of what if I don't know who I am or is it okay if I don't know myself or how do I get to know myself? And I wonder if the first step to that is giving ourselves the permission to get it wrong (laughs) and figure it out. I mean, that's kind of, it's exactly that. It's the idea of whether you're spiritual or not, whether you're Christian or not, religious or not, walk in faith. And, and faith meaning walk in the direction of what feels right. And if it is not right, if it is not constructive, it is not, if it is not for your benefit, it, it will tell you. Mm. And so all you can do is learn. You know, mm. you go to, I always use the analogy of like, if you want to build a house, you got to go to Home Depot and get all the materials. You got to mm. get the wood and the, you got to learn, you got to, that's what your 20s are. That's what your 30s are. That's what life is, is you are in Home Depot collecting things for the health you're meant to build. But you got to mm-hmm. get those things first. Yeah. So yeah. the weird job you got, the horrible relationship, the weird, those are the tools you need to build the thing you're meant to build. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, Judd, I want to keep talking with you, but I, do too. I think our time Forever. is about up. <laughs> forever forever and ever and talk about yes and talk about more nothing and naked ocean swimming and and all the fun memories yes and all the concepts Mm -hmm. about who we are and how to be a human yes yes i just am grateful for you and when i read anything that you put out there your blood guts it's it's all there and it inspires me because i want to have the courage to share who I am in that way too. So I'm just grateful you have the courage to walk your journey and be you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how can people get your books and when does it come out and all the things? Well, like streams to the ocean comes out September 15th, 2020. Um, and you can get it anywhere. Bookstores or online. Um, on Audible or on audiobook, so I can just read it to you, which is fun. Um, yes. That, yeah. And then, I mean, if you want to follow along, like for my writing or anything I'm doing or announcements, like I'm on Instagram a lot. So it's just my name, Jedi Jenkins. 
best no. name ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love your name so much. Shadadiah Jenkins. <laughs> it's, so I should always have a banjo. You really should with yeah. a piece of grass hanging out of your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Jed. Well, thank you so much. Love you. And we'll talk soon. Love you forever. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refine Collective podcast. If you made it this far into the episode, you are truly my soul sister. And I want to keep in touch with you. Like, what did you think of the episode? And what's your favorite Beyonce song? And what questions and topics do you want me to cover on the podcast? I want to know these things from you. So I give you the permission to slide into my DMs over on Instagram at The Refined Woman. I would love to connect. Also, did you know my book, Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex drops April 2021? In this book, I'm talking about growing up in Christian purity culture filled with promise rings and true love weights and basically how my dating life was non-existent for most of my life and how all of that changed when I moved to New York City. I found out it's a lot harder not to have sex when you're actually dating. So yeah, I'm getting real in my book, Sexless in the City, and I'd love to keep you updated on all things book-related from when it drops or opportunities to join my book launch team and how to pre-order, all of the things. So go to bit.ly slash TRW dash sexless. Again, that's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash TRW dash sexless. And you can join my community for all the updates. All right. Thank you so much for being here today. I am truly grateful. Bye for now.